0: I get going. Let me, reminder the U version, the, the app, anybody been using it? Two, three, four. Okay, all right. <laughs> you can, I, I won't think you're just playing on your telephone or your pad if you want to just go ahead and find it. U version, it's on TV.com, I think. Is that what it is? Some, somebody can tell me, but anyway, it's a Bible app that you can follow along the notes, the scriptures all on your device, and uh, send yourself notes and look at it through the week. So go for that. You know, we've all had some experiences maybe with attorneys, maybe not so great, some of them, you know. So the not-so-great experiences, you can appreciate this little story. There were two lawyers hunting. They came upon some tracks they studied it for a while, examined everything, and one, one lawyer insisted that they were deer tracks. The second lawyer said, no, 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 they're elk tracks. Well, they were still arguing their case when the train ran over them. Now, that's justice. <laughs> okay, sorry to all you attorneys. I'm just playing, just playing. All right. Billy Joel had a song Many of us old geezers remember this one. Only the good die young, Billy Joel song. How many people do you know about who get a raw deal way too early in life? What about that nice person, that really nice guy that loses a battle with cancer? I mean, where is that? What about the pregnant mother killed by a drunk driver? Where's the justice in that? How could something so devastating be allowed to happen to good people? That question seems to come up almost daily. And its twin brother is even more bothersome. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why did the mother and the unborn child die and the drunk driver walk away without a scratch? Why does a businessman who steals all kinds of money from the company, and he gets to declare bankruptcy to get out of it. And to add insult to injury, he collects more money in a severance pay that was written into his contract. Mm. How can dishonesty be so richly rewarded? You know, even folks who have no interest in God whatsoever shake their heads in amazement. We all come to the same conclusion. Life is not fair. Our gut feeling tells us it ought to be fair, and we're deeply disappointed when it isn't, especially when we're on the receiving end of that unfairness. Those who don't believe in God are stuck with their feelings. They don't have anywhere to take those feelings. All they can really do is try to work things out themselves, and most of the time that doesn't work. They want to hold someone ultimately responsible. But how can they hold someone responsible who doesn't exist? They can't take it to God. Now, those of us who do believe in God often face two difficulties. First, we have to explain our own feelings of anger and disappointment. How could this happen? And second, we have to answer questions that other people ask. If we just use the the attributes that we've been talking about so far in this series, the questions go along with those like this. How can you believe in the goodness of God if there's so much injustice? How can you trust in the sovereignty of God? We talked about that on the second week. When God doesn't seem to control this world, there's so much unfair stuff. Number three, how can we believe in the wisdom of God when He allows things to happen, to, bad things to happen to good people and good things to happen to bad people? Well, where's the wisdom in that? And how can you believe in the holiness of God when there's so much unholiness everywhere? Dictionaries define justice with words like this righteousness, lawfulness. Holiness, integrity, fairness, impartiality. Our understanding of justice tends to emphasize this idea of an external set of rules or laws that must be followed. When it comes to God's justice, however, this doesn't work. Because justice isn't a standard that God follows. He is the standard. He's not accountable to justice because justice flows from him. We may be accustomed to the legal tricks in the court system or the technicalities that people get away with, but there will be none of that before God. He knows the details, and he knows the big picture of every case. Let's look at justice with a timeline. Think of a timeline where there's uh, uh, this, rep- this line represents eternity past and eternity future. Okay, And those lines don't have an end to them. They just go on and on and on and on and on, both directions. Human history would be represented by a tiny segment on this timeline. I mean, we think life is huge, but really considering eternity in both directions, it's not all that big, is it? So here's this segment. In the first two chapters of Genesis tell us about the beginning of time, the universe, and God is the righteous judge over paradise, Okay, with the first humans having this direct access to God. Then the fall of humankind happens. That's when Adam and Eve blow it for the rest of us, right? We're all born into that. And God judges us for our rebellion here. God's relationship with fallen humanity doesn't close until we get to Revelation chapter 20, towards the end of the Bible. So Genesis 3 and Revelation 20 serve as bookends of this long story about a just and loving God working out redemption. Remember we learned that word last week. Redemption means he's buying us back. He purchases us back. So Here's the bookends of this time, and outside of those bookends are perfection and holiness and justice. Between them, a whole lot of unresolved junk, all right? So you got the picture there? We're living in that brief segment of time. And until we step out of this life into eternity, we will experience the effects of this fallen world. That's why it's so important that we understand how a perfect and just God operates within this system that's been corrupted. He didn't corrupt it. We did. But how does a just God work in this corruption? We get a unique glimpse of God's justice in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God tells Abraham that he's going to destroy these two cities because of all the wickedness in them. And there's a problem here. Abraham's nephew, Lot, and Lot's family are in those cities. And they're not bad people, all right? They believe in God and everything, and they're living their lives like they should. But they're in this undeserved danger. So Abraham asked God a question. It would be unthinkable for you to do such a thing. To treat the innocent and the guilty alike and to kill the innocent with the guilty. That would be unthinkable. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is fair? Now that sounds kind of normal. We would maybe ask that question. But understand that this was centuries before the Ten Commandments. Any of the law of God. Abraham was living at a time when there was no written revelation of God. My thing keeps coming off. I forgot to tie it to my neck behind me, so. If I start to choke, somebody come up here and give me CPR, okay? It's strangling me. <laughs> so here's no revelation of God, no written revelation, but he still knows something about the character of God. He knows that God should be just. We do have the scriptures. We have these writings, these historical writings that tell us all about God. Listen to one of them here. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Clouds and thick darkness convey the idea of mystery. We can't understand everything about God. But somewhere in his mysteriousness, we can count on his truth, on his fairness. We're told about it all through the scriptures. In the central part of justice is another word, another Bible word we need to get inside of us. It's called retribution. The idea of retribution. We understand this to mean that actions lead to consequences. You do that, and this will happen. You know how it goes. Good actions bring good results. Bad actions bring bad results. So when the Bible is talking about the final judgment, this big day that's coming, it always represents it in terms of retribution. Basically, everyone eventually gets what he or she deserves. And though the world is not fair, inside these bookends, that's not fair God is because he's outside of all that and inside. We should be amazed, absolutely amazed, the way God continually delays that final judgment so we have abundant opportunities to turn to him. That should blow us away that he waits for his judgment. But you know what? It doesn't really blow us away. We're not all that amazed. So let's get into the rationale here about God's justice. First, we need to look at how God reveals his justice. This is how we've been doing this. So let's, let's look at how this character trait of God is revealed. First of all, it's through nature, through the natural order of things. Let's talk about God's wrath. Ooh, nobody likes talking about that, but watch this. God's wrath... It refers to his righteousness and passion anger against evil. That makes sense. If God is totally righteous, he's perfect, it would kind of bug him to see imperfection, to see unrighteousness. The Bible says in Romans, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We really do know about God. I mean to, to look out at nature, to see the way the natural order works, gives no one excuse to say, well, there must not be a God. You know, just look. Open your eyes is what this is saying. We really do know about God, including this aspect of justice. We understand it. Guys, you know how it is. In sports, we find ways to take the cheap shots, and maybe basketball or football. You know, the elbow to the gut when the ref's not looking or the late hit on the quarterback after he's thrown the ball. And what do we hear from our opponent? You'll get yours. What goes around comes around. Now, that's an instinct. Somehow the refs may not have seen my move, but the player was claiming a higher law. It's just universal. It's built into us. Even a casual observer, regardless of culture or background, notices this same basic life principle. When you do good things to people, good things happen to you. When you do bad things, bad things happen. And although we can name some exceptions, we know this principle is basically true. When it doesn't happen, aren't we outraged? There's something in us that knows this should be consistently in operation, but it's not. So that's one way God shows his justice. is It's just through nature, through the natural order of things. Also, he shows it through the human heart. You could probably even say the human mind. All people in all places... Even those who have never heard a thou shalt not from God have this internal law that tells them right from wrong. And when they disobey that, they feel bad about it. They feel guilty. There's a neat story in the book of Acts. Paul was shipwrecked. And he ends up on this island and these people are secluded from the outside world. And, you know, they don't know anything about Jesus or any of that. And uh, it it talks about Paul uh, gathering an armful of sticks to put in the fire. They're building a fire, and a snake comes out, fastens itself to Paul's hand. And it says that the the people looked and saw, oh, he must be a murderer, and justice is going to take place here. And they they sat there and they watched him. You know what they watched? They didn't try to help him. They waited for him to, to swell up and die you imagine? Let's see him turn into a blowfish and just die because the sea didn't take his life. I guess something else is going to take his life. Well, when nothing happened for a long time, the people saw that no harm came to him. They changed their minds. Now they thought he was a god. So you see, the people reached this natural conclusion in both directions because in their heart, They knew that justice comes from a supernatural source. C.S. Lewis says, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way, and they can't get rid of that. So there you go. God revealing his justice. Another way, through his role as judge, he lets us know about it. Yes, that's his role. And the Bible is anything but vague about God's position as that judge. It says when you come to God, you've come to the judge of all people. So we recognize God as judge. People probably wouldn't argue too much with that. And it should be sobering to us. But if we know he's on our side... We can face that judgment with confidence. The Apostle Paul again, he referred to himself as the chief of sinners. I always say I'm going to have an argument with him when I get to heaven. No, I think I was worse, Paul. (laughs) He calls himself the chief of sinners. And then he pins this when he gets ready to die and go to heaven. Now a crown is being held for me. A crown for being right with God. That's righteous. The Lord, the judge who judges rightly, will give the crown to me on that day, not only to me, but to all who have waited with love for him to come again. doesn't say Paul was perfect through his life, but he's seeing that when he is with Jesus, when Jesus takes him, he will be perfect. He will be perfect in Jesus' sight. He'll know Jesus just as Jesus knows him. Everybody knows God is judge. They may not understand his judgment, but they never argue about him holding that office of judge. And that's why some people have such a hard time with God. There's no argument with most people that God is the judge. So, well, I don't like that, so I don't like God. That's where people conclude in this. There's one more way he reveals his judgment judgment and that's through the cross. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Now atonement, there's another one of those words. What does that mean? It actually means covering. It's a covering. So the blood of Jesus Christ covered over our sins so God wouldn't have to look on it. God doesn't want to look at all of our sinfulness, but he, he has this plan. So he covers it. Now, that's kind of like sweeping it under the carpet. It goes further than that. Jesus literally takes away our sins. But this covering happens by the blood of Jesus. When we think we get it right with Jesus by going to church or learning to pray a little better or reading the Bible, giving a little money, spending a little time uh, serving or something like that. If we think that is what gets us right with God, we're fooling ourselves. That's a religion called moralism. Moralism. Nothing wrong with those things. It's very good to come to church. Very good to read your Bible and learn how to pray and serve and give and all that stuff. It just doesn't make you right with God. You should do those things out of your love for God. It should be a result of his grace on your life, not a way for you to get to God. You're already to God. He came to you. Unless we take shelter under the sacrifice of Jesus, under the sacrifice he made on that cross, we're exposed to God's judgment. Nothing covers us. So God makes it pretty clear that he's the judge and that we're all going to experience this final judgment day. And that day pertains to believers and unbelievers, people who trust Jesus Christ and people who don't. Just as it is appointed for all people to die once, the Bible says, after that, there's a certain judgment. So, what do we do? What do we do about God's justice? How do we respond to this thing? He reveals it. It's pretty clear. But how do we respond? Well, first of all, we've got to choose to embrace Jesus. That's key. Embrace Jesus. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord. For some, that day of judgment will be the most tremendous and encouraging moment of their existence. They'll finally get to see face-to-face the one they have trusted for years. That will be a great day. But for others, it will be a terrible moment. A moment of bitter truth when they wonder Why didn't I respond? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears what I say and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life. That person will not be judged guilty, but has already left death and entered life. The invitation to choose Jesus isn't about being better or being more religious. It's where you honestly say to God, Okay, I understand that Jesus died to pay for my sin and to satisfy your justice, God. And today I turn away from my sin. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me based on that work Jesus did on the cross. And I want to follow you from here on out. So that's one response. Very important response. The next response I want to talk to you about is a biggie. Refuse to seek vengeance. Refuse to seek vengeance. Christ followers with bitterness and unresolved angers toward bosses, toward spouses, toward rebellious children, toward bad parents. Christians who have bitterness about anybody who has mistreated them are wasting a ton of energy trying to get things to work out right, just wasting energy because what we're doing with that attitude of bitterness, that attitude of getting revenge is taking the place of God as the judge over the injustices in all of life. See how big that is? The Bible says, Don't repay anyone evil for evil. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. God said, It's mine to avenge, I will repay. And then he goes on to say, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty... Give them something to drink. It says, in doing this, you'll heat burning coals on their head, but please, that's not the motive. (laughs) That's not the motive for doing this. It says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I've got to say, this is not a passage of scripture that's anti-war. It's not talking about nations fighting. against. It's talking about one-on-one relationships, and it's talking about people in the church. These may be some of the most neglected instructions in the modern-day church. When we take revenge, we're rejecting God's promise to balance the scales out eventually. We're saying, we don't believe you can take care of it, God, so I'm going in, and I'm going to say a thing or two. I had a, a boss once. I used to work in music retail. I sold PA systems and keyboards to churches and schools and individuals. And, and uh, we were a, kind of a big megastore, and there was another megastore, and this was in Tampa. And uh, they were our competitors. They were the enemy, right? Now, most of us that worked there, it was kind of a game. But the owner of the company, my boss, it wasn't a game with him it was a big deal. Well, he knew I was one of these weird Christ follower people, so he called me into his office once and wanted to know what the Bible said about his competitor or his enemy. And uh, I was pretty new at being a Christian, and but I had seen this passage of Scripture and, you know, with probably no wisdom at all, I just blurted it out. I said, well, Dickie, really, we're supposed to pray for him and We're supposed to, like, bless him and, you know, all that kind of stuff. All this stuff, and you could see the veins starting to pop out of his neck, you know. He wasn't going to go for that. It's just not in our thinking, even Christians. Now, here's where it gets even deeper. Acting out our revenge probably will not be our temptation, but thinking it will be. Even when we don't consider carrying out revenge, we wrestle with it in our minds. And this is that subtle form of being overcome by evil. Jesus said, If you hate in your heart, you are subject to judgment as a murderer. Ouch, I don't really like that too much. Do you? A murderer so we don't even have to carry it out and we're already guilty of it God wants us to be at peace within as well as without so we've got to watch that one we have to uh, just refuse to seek revenge another one another way we can respond to this judgment of God is to take comfort in God's judgment just kind of relax it's gonna be okay we must constantly remind ourselves that God will balance the scales. And this should feel good to us. We should be able to release this. Uh, Proverbs 21 says, When justice is done, good people are happy, but evil people are ruined. That should kind of make us feel all right. In Psalm 73, Asaph said that the good things happening to bad people was really getting under his Skin It almost undid him. He says that he lost sight of, of, of the good feeling until he looked at the wicked and looked at the way God talks about it. He said, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God, until I got alone with God. Then I understood their final destiny. Now, we don't wish evil on anybody, but if you're kind of bugged, well, why are good things happening to bad people? We need to get a little bit comfortable with God's justice, that it will work out. Just like Asaph, he quit looking at things between the bookends. He saw the bigger picture. Comfort me, God, is what should be on our lips. Let me rest in your justice with an eternal view not just in the bookends. Now, if anyone suffered injustice, it was Jesus. And he understands it. So talk to him about this. Of course, we're going to get those times where we're gritting our teeth and, God, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting them get away with this? Why is this happening to me? Talk to Jesus about that. That's part of the rest. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Let's go to the last one. And this kind of takes it a step further. Meditate on the effects of God's final judgment. This is deeper into it than just being comfortable with it. Think about what it will really be like for any of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians says Christ will judge each of us for the good or the bad that we do while we're living in these bodies. In the bookends. Now, we kind of know what it means to be judged by the good, but what will it mean for Christ to judge our bad deeds? Would he embarrass each of us in front of everyone with a big screen movie of all of our mess-ups? Would he punish us? That's not heaven, that's hell. It means that anything done or not done for the kingdom of God Anything done for self and not by his inspiration will be burned up. Poof, gone. You're out of here. Only what is done for Christ and in his name will last and will be rewarded. So there's no need to fear the judgment of God if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ. I want to close with a a little devotional that I read or a, a devotional, just a quiet time with God, being alone with God. And uh, this, there was a story in it about the 2004 Summer Olympics. Athens, Greece, the guy's name was Paul Ham. He had this disastrous fall off the vault where he fell into the judge's bench, dropping him to 12th place. Had a judge and a bench not been there, he would have fallen all the way off the podium and probably injured himself. But after the other contestants didn't do so well, and Paul Hamm recovered with his next attempt, he ended up winning the gold medal. And the story makes this point that in life, you will slip and fall. And sometimes you may fall right into the lap of the judge. But that will be a great thing. Because our good, sovereign, wise, and holy God is a just God. He will do the right thing. So you're going to be given another rethink tool as you leave. The ushers will pass it out to you. It just came to our attention last week that... uh, Everybody thought that was the same card going out every week because they look a lot alike. But they're not. There's a different one each week. They have a new Bible verse and a new quote. So pick up that card and let it change your thinking of God. Let it allow him to draw that picture of himself. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to show a video. And uh, you're going to get comfortable this week with the justice of God. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father,